Well, happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. That was good. That was, I'm impressed. Well, we're going to go over it again for those that didn't hear it or didn't know it. The early greeting, right, in the early church, when we were, we were all walking around in sandals and tunics. On this day, Easter morning, you would pass each other and Christians would say, He is risen. And you would respond, Indeed, He is truly risen. So we're going to try it one more time. He is risen. Okay, I'm going to use that at the end of the homily. So if you screw it up, it's going to ruin the homily. So remember it, okay? <clears throat> I don't know if we Christians always appreciate the fact of how essential the resurrection is to our faith. It's everything. If the event of the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is pointless. It is completely pointless. But in the modern day and age... People seem to think that this whole Christian thing is a nice sentiment. It's kind of a nice thing to have on the side, in your back pocket, but it's, it's rarely the heart of every believer. There are things in all of our lives that get into the center that push God out. But literally, you guys, I want to bring this truth home to your hearts today. If the resurrection happened, which we believe it did, it changes everything. Everything. And it is meant to be at the center of your heart and my heart in everything we do. As you may know, I had the privilege of leading numerous pilgrimages over to Rome. And one I remember very clearly. I was walking with these two ladies. And we came around the corner. And you turn onto this road called the Conciliazione. Right? Italian words always sound better than English words, right? All, all it means is council. So if I told you that they turned onto council road, you'd be like, who cares? But if I say they turned onto the via della conciliazione, you're like, wow. <laughs> but it's this really long road, and at the end of it is St. Peter's Square and St. Peter's Basilica. So when you, when you turn onto this road, it's just boom, I mean... The biggest church in the world is in front of your eyes. And these ladies, it like stopped them dead in their tracks. They had no idea it was coming. I love to do that. I love to lead them places and then don't tell them what's going to come around the corner. And they just like, wow. Just struck by beauty and awe. And the one lady's like, why don't they build churches like this anymore? And the other lady profoundly said, because people that built those churches... God was everything to them. They had faith. And God was at the center. But in America, we have opinions. And you don't build great buildings to God on opinions. How true that is. We come here today not of the opinion that God rose from the dead. We come here believing the fact that God rose from the dead. St. Peter says when we came among you, we didn't contrive cleverly constructed myths. We told you about what we saw with our own eyes. What we heard with our ears. What we touched, John says. St. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then we are the most pitied of people. And our faith is in vain. And dumbest of all, everybody, is this guy. I gave my whole life to it. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should pack up shop and go home. Thinking that this is a nice sentiment, good for my family, all that is nice. But it's not the heart. The heart is the resurrection. And I want to prove to you today that it is simply unreasonable to believe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. In fact, I might even say it's foolish to not believe it. Now, this is counterintuitive, I know, because of the world we live in. A very secular, atheistic world in which they, they mock our God. They mock our Savior. They say religion is a crutch. They say we're dumb, unrealistic, unenlightened, unscientific. We're not woke. I don't know what woke is, but I don't ever want to be it. But somehow we made this up to help us cope with life. Okay, that would be nice if the faith only said we all just went to heaven. It doesn't say that. The Christian faith is not easy. It's hard to live. It's not a crutch. It's tough as nails. And yet, I want to submit to you that the resurrection is an actual historical fact. We just heard the account of the resurrection, right? We know for a fact that Jesus died. That is historically recorded. We know that he lived. That is historically recorded. From pagan sources, Jewish sources, and Christian sources. I also just read this little side note. You know that when, when Jesus dies on the cross, or when he's on the cross, he says there's three hours of darkness? Head nods? Remember that? Okay. <clears throat> Did you know that that is actually historically documented? In pagan sources, in Jewish sources, and in Christian sources. And this is what's so crazy about this. Because, I asked this at the other masses, it, it, and it even says in the scripture what they thought it was. Right? What, do we, what would we suspect if the sun gets blotted out and it's dark? What would we think? An eclipse, right? It even says there was an eclipse. Here's the problem with that. If you were listening at all to Deacon Ben who loves the Seder meal and Passover, he said, which is true, that the Seder meal happens on the 14th of Nisan, right? For the Jews, it's the month and the date. Every year that that happens, there is a full moon. Here's the problem. You cannot have a solar eclipse with a full moon because the moon is behind the earth. You can have a lunar eclipse, But to have a solar eclipse, you have to have a new moon when the moon is in front of the earth. So what caused the three days of darkness? I don't know. Makes it even more miraculous. But we know it's documented and we know it happened. But I digress. Back to his death. We know he died, right? Because it's documented. Now here's the deal. Either his body is in the tomb or it is not in the tomb. Those are our two options, correct? Yes or yes? Yes. It is clearly not in the tomb. That's why there was a big hoopla and a mess. And if the, here's the deal. If the apostles like went to the wrong tomb, or Mary Magdalene screwed up and forgot what tomb he was in, and showed up at one that was empty, as soon as they said, he's been raised, the authorities would have said, no. And they'd take a little field trip down to his actual tomb. They'd move the stone back and say, there he is, still dead. And the whole thing would have been over. But they didn't do that. Because they couldn't. Because he wasn't there. 
So that leaves us with only one enlightened, scientific, plausible explanation. And that is what? The apostles stole the body. Because you guys, he couldn't have rose from the dead. That's too crazy. Even the apostles in the gospel, right? When the women came, they say, he rose from the dead. What, is, what do the apostles say? That's nonsense. Even his own believers didn't believe it. So we have to conclude that the only logical explanation is the disciples, his apostles, that night stole the body, hid it somewhere where it could never be found, and then fabricated all of Christianity. Right? It's the only thing that really makes sense from a scientific mind. There's just one problem with this. It's ridiculous. For a very simple reason. Have any of you ever heard of Chuck Colson? Do you know who Chuck Colson is? Yeah, you were here last night. No kind <laughs> Anybody who wasn't here last night who knows who Charles Colson was? You should know our history. Do you know? Who was he? Huh? Watergate. Good. Chuck Colson was known as President Nixon's hatchet man. He got that title because he was the one, he was part of the Watergate Seven. They were the seven most powerful guys at the time surrounding Nixon to protect him from impeachment. He was known as the hatchet man because he, he did anything and everything at any cost to destroy all possible evidence surrounding Watergate. So did the Watergate Seven. They were sworn to secrecy to uphold the cover-up. Charles Colson went to prison. <laughs> Imagine that. And the Watergate Seven all went to prison. Charles Colson, after getting out of prison, converted and became a Christian. He said one of the main reasons he became a Christian was he realized how reliable the apostles must have been. What does he mean by that? Remember, these are extremely powerful men in powerful places. You guys, after two weeks, just two weeks, John Dean, one of the Watergate Seven, cracked and turned over evidence to save his own skin, to lessen his sentence. Within three weeks, all of them had ratted out each other to save their own skin and lessen their sentence. The great, one of the greatest cover-ups in America unraveled in three weeks. Because the, one who were, the ones who were holding the secret got persecuted, attacked, and threatened with imprisonment. And what did they do? It's a lie. Why do I bring this up? Because all of the apostles. You guys, it's one thing to profess a truth. It's a whole other thing to persevere in a truth when you're attacked and persecuted and, worse than the Watergate 7, threatened with death. All of them not only professed that the resurrection happened, that they saw the living Christ, that he was alive. Not only did they profess that, they persevered in that to death. Horrific death. Bartholomew, the apostle, was filleted alive. And all he had to do was say it was a cover-up. Say he made it up. And this man chose to have his skin 
cut off of his entire body before he bled out and died, then say it's not true. Here's what's even more amazing to me, you guys. What did the apostles gain? What did they gain? Nothing from a worldly standpoint. Nothing. And not only the apostles stood by and watched this happen and stood their ground and persevered in the truth. We know there were 500 other people that saw the resurrected Jesus. Not one of them said it was a cover-up. Not one of them. There was there a deathbed confession. Not one of them said, ah, we made it up. Because they didn't make it up. The only thing that makes sense is it would have been more detrimental to them to say it was a lie than to die. If that doesn't prove the truth of what they saw, I don't know what does. If the greatest, one of the greatest cover-ups in American history unraveled in three weeks with seven guys... How does Christianity and the Christian message of the resurrection not unravel if it's not true when there's over 600 people involved in the cover-up? Not one of them? Come on. And they gain nothing by saying it's true. Absolutely nothing. You guys, there are truths in this world that make very little difference in our lives, but there are some that make all the difference in the world. And the resurrection is one of them. It changes everything. Because if he rose from the dead, which now seems seemingly plausible, then everything he said was true. Everything he taught was true. How he told us to live was true. The Eucharist is true. Eternal life is true. Your life has meaning is true. Suffering is not pointless, is true. And no, everything is a mess right now. I know our world is a time bomb. But if what we profess is true, then he is still in command. And guiding this messed up disaster of the human race with his loving hand towards fulfillment. And you and I are not alone, ever. And the, even our greatest fear, death, is now the way to life. There is only one thing left to say on this most beautiful and sacred day. And that is, he has risen. And that, my friends, changes everything.